My name is Tomas Jefferson, and I want to thank you for checking out Hanging with the Hana Books. On today's podcast, we're joined by Kai Kotin, and we discuss Kor'uk, its importance, its history, and its religious impact. Well, it's Thursday. This is another episode of Hanging with the Hana Books. I got Chris, Willie, myself, Zion, Andre, and with us as a guest, Kai. So, what do you want to... We have Permanent to talk guess, about. No. We had a small list <laughs> yeah, I'm just of some of the <laughs> topics we wanted Kai, to discuss. Yeah. Yeah. So Kai, Kai is actually a Hana Pook. Um, that's that's uh, you know all everybody here today you know has been through this this trial this trial right and uh, yeah we've all passed the test. So basically you know the the idea of the Hana Pooks you know it's a continuing idea and uh, we're happy to have you here today, Kai. Uh, I think today we're going to talk a, a little bit about the Karuk ceremony. Um, you know, it's something that we all share, and that is the uh, the foundation of you know the Hanapuks. And uh, there's a lot of questions out, you know, that we want to try and answer some. You know, give give some of our own understandings and share some of what we've been through uh, with uh, you know people who who want to know. So, Tomas, you want to narrate some of these questions for us, and we can just bounce them off. Want to introduce off camera Tomas Jefferson. So, why haven't we done the ceremony in approximately 70 years? Well, I think um, our elder and one of the teachers that we learned from, Lori Kachora, talk about how before they went into the service in the military, that uh, funerals were done for four days. So, I think there was an aspect, you know, that the four days uh, was still a thing. Now it's, you know, or before it was from dusk till dawn, now it's only for approximately, you know, five hours or three hours, you know, but um, it's dwindled, dwindled down little by little the amount of time that we spend out there at funerals, but I think the the good of Uk was um, uh, it's miscon- uh, cons- there's a misconception about it, I think, a lot, where it was the funeral that happened right after the creator passed away, but it was actually um, after a time had elapsed where they were missing them so they performed this ceremony um, so in doing the ceremony there's a lot of preparation that has to be done beforehand, and now in the modern times, I think it was touched on a previous podcast that uh, a lot of people are working, a lot of people have other obligations because of their families, uh, children, you know, uh, sick family members that they have to take care of, things of that nature. And uh, I think we found with this coronavirus that it gave us an opportunity that we might not have had uh, otherwise, you know, to to do the ceremony, to take the time to learn about it, the history behind it, the language, and actually go through with it so i think that's one of the main reasons why it wasn't performed in so long is because it takes a lot of time to prepare and i think the knowledge was not uh, more so readily available back then but uh, maybe more people knew about it and how to do it uh, this time we relied solely on um our elders one who actually seen the ceremony and took part in it the last one that took place in the what the the, set, the 50s the 50s, yeah. the 50s uh, 52 I believe was the year that he, he stated um, but it's been a long time and I think that's one of the reasons we found out why is because of the preparation that is involved with it. Super elaborate um, I mean if you think about it it the the existence of this ceremony predated any of our modern you know obligations right uh, it was and and it was actually something that unified our, our community because each of the families had different roles in this ceremony and it was I don't know whether it was done on an annual basis or like a, I think it was as you know 
needed basis, more or less. Uh, so it could happen, you know, once a year or maybe potentially even more than once a year, depending on, you know, the, the you know, what, what the families are asking. Uh, I mean, you, you touch on it that it has uh, the, it's a mourning ceremony, really, above above all else. It's a, a ceremony that is meant to, you know, honor the, the love that you have for your, your loved ones. And, you know, if there's, you know, things that, you know, you feel like are still at, not at rest, that this is a way to, to do that, you know, to, to put it at rest and to, you know, to help them in their journey. And, you know, that's basically what, you know, we were, you know, told that the, the ceremony represents. And so, you know, it is very somber, um, not something that you can just, you know, read about and, you know, try and go out and do. You know, the the old Kuroks that they talk about, um, not the very the old old ones but the more modern tense ones they they talk about horses they had horse people on horseback you know shooting bows uh you know i mean that you'd have to be a pretty seasoned horse rider and you know right. archer to be able to shoot you know a, a target from a bow or with a bow from a horse mm-hmm. uh so i mean andre you know you and i were the ones that were shooting bows in the this ceremony could you imagine if we had to do it on a, on the back of a horse <laughs> no really no i don't think so so you think about that, like Andre, what was your preparation, you know, for, for that? I mean, you spent time, you know, you know, to, to make the bows and to learn, you know, what you could about it. You know, how much time would you say leading up to the ceremony that you spent? I don't know. Like, oh, we would probably like practice like at least twice out of the week, probably. And then again, just the, the bows are already pre-made, but it, just like going back to that question, you know, like why, why, why did all these things start to fade away over time? Mm-hmm. Kind of like how you were talking about each clan had a responsibility, and that was their job to do. And then once the knowledge of that person eventually went away, it was never passed down. And I think that's how some of these things disappear. I also heard stories from some people. They say you don't. I guess on the opposite end from where we're at, you know, <clears throat> they say, you know, you don't, you don't talk about those things or you don't bring them up because it was meant to disappear. Mm-hmm. I've heard, um, like, like Jesse talks about some of his relatives and some of the songs or some things that they learned and they say, oh, could you teach me those songs? And some, I know some songs back in the day, they said, no, the song dies with me because this song belonged to my family. And I guess they kind of, some of them thought that the next generation of Quetzalans weren't worthy for those things. And I think that's just the old style of thinking, because it was different from what my teacher obviously told me, because, you know, he was kind of like one of the ones that put this, you know, the ceremony into motion, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that was one of the things that he told me about is that that's how they were. They say, no, this is this belongs to me, and it's going to go with me. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, also one of the reasons why it disappeared. Probably, probably something you have to <clears throat> dream, too. They say that you got to be a dreamer in order mm-hmm. to sing those songs. And You know, just like when we talk about Il Shah, you know, the lot of, I remember my grandma used to say, that's a, that's an Escalani song. You know, we sing that one. That was something that she used to tell me. And, but, you know, other people obviously sung it, but I, I don't like to think about that in that context anymore because we're in a new age now mm-hmm. where I think something's going to, it's going to go. So we should all share it. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're 
by having that connection to those songs, to these ceremonies, you know, you're tapping into a, you know, an energy source that our tribe, you know, harnessed. I mean, those songs are meant to make you feel relief and, you know, I mean, there's there's tones and there's melodies and, you know, words that are being spoken in those songs that, you know, bring you, uh, you know, their, their medicine, right? Um, so it would be a shame for those things to, you know, to not be available to us, especially, you know, if it's, it, which it is, you know, so much of our identity. Right. Um, back to the question, I think that a lot of, it's been a lot of erase to replace. And when I think about like assimilation and our, how we don't do ceremonies anymore, uh, a lot of it has to do with just having uh, jobs and having to take care of a family. We don't look for the land to provide for us anymore. We, instead, we have to go to these you know, these companies and buy food and we have to outsource so much uh, instead of just, you know, food sovereignty. So we rely on uh, the American industry industry to provide for us and that means that we also have to capitulate a certain amount of time and labor to that system. And if we're working all the time, we have no time to be doing ceremony and I think that it's awesome, too, that our tribal government allows time off for ceremonies, mm -hmm. particularly um, burial. But I still don't think that even that's enough. But because we can, we can do more and we can revive more and we can push for more. And I think that uh, instead of having faith in the, the systems of power that got us here, we can... Uh, dig deeper and find, you know, what what's left of what what we had, and sort of manifest more from that, mm -hmm. and build towards, you know, healing. I guess, but yeah. I think, you know, what Andre and what you're talking about as well is, you know, the adaptation of our practice right into modern times, and so. You can see it, and I think it's important that you know, as Quetzans, we know that when we're when we're going to modern ceremonies, even the ones that we're doing today, you know, in in the middle of COVID, where you know we're outside and it's already changed and it's already condensed into a you know very short time frame from four days down to what you know four or five hours, and you know, but we're still the bundles, you know, those what those bundles represent in a you know older context is you know comes from the Karuk. You know, the ceremony that we're doing, even the condensed version of it is, is more or less, you know, originated from this ceremony that, you know, our ancestors way back were, you know, taught how to do and, you know, what's the proper way to, you know, handle it. And it's, you know, we've all been told, you know, over and over again that it's because there's, there's references and there's, you know, guidance and we have, you know, elders that have experienced different aspects of it and share that with us, which we're all fortunate to have those gifts. People think that we weren't, we might not have been doing a full scale kura'uk, but the portions we do uh, now at the big house are kura'uk. They are, right. you know, aspects of the, of the original ceremony that, that we do. And I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, yeah, a lot they of, they don't realize that. It's that, that you're just supposed to, you know, do the best that you can do with the circumstances that you're dealing with. I mean, you think back before, you know, 
everything that is, is, you know, making it, preventing us from doing it now. I mean, there were other things, you know, you were in the middle of battle and, you know, you lost a Kutsan member, you know, you had to do something for them uh, or, you know, bring them back. Or, I mean, you know, there's obviously times where, you know, the tribe had to accommodate, you know, circumstance. And that's, that's what we're doing today, you know, what we're forced to do. And I think we're doing the best that we can uh, and, and bringing this ceremony back, you know, with integrity, you know, based on the time that was spent, you know, I hope that we're doing our part to make sure that it doesn't get lost or left. I want to say that was, that's not uncommon either. We were told by our, our elder and it's in written in text that it would, it typically took like a year to perform it. So it's, you know, you can't just uh, say you want to do it and do it, even if you had the knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, there's a lot of preparation and thought that has to be put behind what you're doing. It's not something you just jump right into, otherwise you're might hurt yourself or somebody else, as it was told. But, but. Yeah, think about all the, you know, all the money that went into it, too. From, you know, you guys, Mapipa and all that. You know, it's something that they didn't have to worry about back then. But, you know, I'm pretty sure they didn't have to <laughs> think about grants or money like that to do something like that. All the stuff was around them and is, you know... Well, like in that book too, they said they traded <laughs> two horses. Was it two or three horses for just paint? Yeah, the mobbies. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> I'm like, so, I'll yeah. keep those horses. Well, I guess Quetzal didn't really think big of horses. They just wanted to eat them pretty much. And, yeah. Uh, I always thought that was interesting. Like they didn't want to ride them; they just want to eat them. <laughs> unless it was on a for a right? Oh yeah, unless yeah yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> How come we oh. didn't use those for battle? I know. <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet. We're not there. Well, I was reading, I think, in, uh, I forgot what book. But it was talking about how we did learn how to ride some horses. And we're getting good at it. But the Spaniards took them away because we were getting good at it. And then, then when they came back, like some person who was like kind of uh, following them, writing about them, like they, they, just for eating them. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Oh, um, I'm interested in how the horses became involved because from what I know is that like there weren't horses here. Well, there were, but they were extinct. They became extinct here and then they came back through colonization. So yeah, so... Some of the original, like we we before we did the ceremony, we went on this like um, this journey, right? And we went to a location which we were told was one of the original Guru, you know, sites. And at that site, you know, there was no way that there was horses there. I mean, you know, they they didn't exist at that time, you know, to us or whatever. And you know, we certainly weren't on horseback. Um, so you know, you look at it's how the, the the ceremony itself has evolved. And I think that the horses, I don't know at what time frame they came along. You know, it's hard to guess, but they, yeah, they became part of, you know, like this more elaborate ceremony. And so, like, I don't know, some family just, you know, I guess archers were like, hey, I like to ride horses. and Yeah. And back to, like, his him saying culture is alive. So it's kind of like just like the material conditions mm-hmm. that happen to be there. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, everything is always going to change with time, you know, from the beginning, like, that's why, <clears throat> like what Zion was saying, I don't think anything that, you know, people might have said, like, you know, we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong. 
But I think this ceremony has always changed. Like when you when you talk about the bell, you know that's you know that's metallic, you know it's metal. Mm -hmm. And then even I've heard from what I was told the 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 mesquites changed over time too. And the original one I was told there was really no mesquites that we treated the posts as such. You know, and that's why we. You know, we take care of them with such care. <clears throat> and then, then we saw the Kumiais do it, but they had little versions that they would dance with. And then we saw that and we're like, oh, we can do that even bigger and better. And we made full size, you know, people. Right. I know that's that's what I, something I was told, but I'm not sure. I, I actually did read something about that, like uh, the Kumiais. Kumiais. Mm -hmm. They they hid how to make the dolls from they didn't want the Kachans to take it. Mm -hmm. But I guess that could be true. That kinda like connects the Well already talked mm -hmm. about how we help the Kumya I think in yeah. the, the that's what he said that their dolls or their Musque, their mannequins were all small. Yeah. yeah, they're like I don't even think they like quicker or something like that. I don't, I don't know. know. So I I I wanna say, you know, I should know this better but i want to say there's a song in the pipa cycle that talks about the muskoi being made out of the creosote mm -hmm. like bundles of it or something yeah and so if that's you know if what we hear about the the pipa songs that you know they come from like the imperial valley area um you know that would make sense that you know because there there are other songs specifically in pipa where it references kuruk you know tipai kuruk it's you know talking about it and so talks about the Musque and, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a reference to the, the creosote. So it's interesting, you know, to look at it. So, you know, I, I like that question uh, about, you know, what is the, what have the people lost, you know, in the time frame that we haven't done the ceremony? And, you know, I think that's a lot of the reason why our teachers, you know, wanted us to learn it, you know, dec a decade ago, mm -hmm. you know, know these songs, know that they exist and, you know, why it's important and that importance has to do with you know the grieving process you know that's why we have our funerals you know our funerals are are meant to give us a chance to you know to grieve and you know that ceremony serves a purpose along those lines so if that ceremony is not taking place you know what's what are we missing you know could it could it help and that's kind of why i mean it was for us you know when we did it it did help yeah yeah that's something like if you do do it you're not uh, someone for someone who's like can't get over their like who's someone who passed away they can't get over it they keep dreaming about them they keep seeing them like they just mourn and mourn and mourn so that's one of the major reasons we did the ceremony and plus uh, it was the the creator who died um, that's when they did the ceremony right mm -hmm. yeah death is something really hard to deal with and but like what's the kind of closure that they get why why does it work you know what what does it do uh i think it was even just an opportunity to cry for them at that point because now you know like i said what do we get we get from de used to get from dust till dawn now it's from midnight to dawn from and, and stuff but uh uh i think uh just even the opportunity, like I said, to have the four days, the whole four days to mourn that specific person mm -hmm. and just focus on that, that uh, gives in itself gives a person healing, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, the time we have now to, to mourn people is just so fast. You know, even in the modern world, you know, funerals are 
you know, an hour or two, you know, and it's just, they're done, they're gone, they're in the ground, you know, but uh, with us, it's a lot more uh, thought out, the process that we used to have, this, this ceremony, and the fact that we don't do it, you know, what we lost is, is that the, the, the not disservice, but the opportunity we don't give to the person that passed and the opportunity we miss out on by not grieving them. Um, but I, I think there was even, um, like, uh, I don't want to be wrong, but I think we used to have, like, professional criers, even, like, songs that would, like, go out other places and cry and stuff because I think uh, that that inv invokes emotion in itself, you know, seeing somebody else cry. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, and uh, I heard that, you know, pe the way people cry today isn't the way how people used to cry. They used to cry a lot harder, used to mourn harder, whatever that may look like. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I think that's what a lot of people today struggle with. A lot of, you know, younger generational people. How do we mourn a person that's lost? You know, because, you know, we're just losing so many people this day and age. Yeah, I feel like even then, like if I'm if I'm in the cry house, like I sometimes think about like oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. Like I can't weep. I can't mourn because I have have like this optic thing of where if I'm crying, then I'm weak, and you know, and it's like that's sure. horrible, you know. Yeah. And I think that our culture, like, deeply ritualizes us to not face our pain and to not, like, just kind of, you know, let it all out. I but was going to say, some people think they can't do that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or that they might not even know that's what that's for because they call it the big house or, you know, or they call it, it's called the cry house for a reason, I think, you know, too, but so, some people call it the big house, but uh, some people don't, I think, fully get that, that that's a place for them to let it all out. You don't have to be an immediate family member. You can just be a relative, you know, and uh be on, be on your own and do what you need to do there a, a lot of time that you have but some people don't they they hold it back and that's the only time that they get to do it because we don't do the ceremony like we used to you know but enjoying the content so far be sure to leave us a like subscribe follow us on social media if you want you can download the show for offline use contact us on social media if you have any questions if you want to hang with the Hanapuks or if you have a topic for a future show <clears throat> oh, I mean everything that I you know I think he's pretty much covered it just from a different kind of stance I think like uh, just the way that I kind of hear it is it's it's more like a kind of like a sickness that builds up inside of you you know after that after that funeral and you didn't you know you feel like you weren't able to let it go and that just dwindles inside you and it, yeah, I just hear that it causes pain inside of you. It can make you, I don't know, crazy or some things. You know, that's what the, from what I was taught. <clears throat> so that your kuduk is your, your second chance, I guess, to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And I guess that thing, that whatever that sickness is, it just doesn't affect you, but it affects everyone around you in your life. It can affect even the tribe, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the reasons that you know you said that we needed to do that because we're sick our whole tribe is sick and we need to cleanse it and the kuruk is how we cleanse the people or how we cleanse ourselves from the land around us too i always wondered if it, they kind of meant like depression you know how some people get into depression and then once someone gets in depression they can make mm -hmm. another one depressed because they keep on talking about sad stuff and you know that that's how i that's how i kind of view it but i also view it kind of like how lori talks about energies because oh, our, yeah. our emotions a bit i think yeah they affect our energies and they radiate from us i feel like 
and that can be easily transferred yeah. to the next person. But you know, they like when when he was telling me about it, he just said sickness. But you know, on a on a deeper level, I think what you said is pretty much what that means. You know, how how I how I feel about it. You know. Yeah. My mom says it's a like a vibration. You know, like if you're a depressed, you know, at a time like you have a low vibration, but if you're like vibrant and you know full of life then you have a high vibration and you want to try and balance your vibration you know that energy that you're putting out there and if you have something that's constantly pulling you into a low vibration you know how can you get rid of that well you know we were taught that that's you know the ceremony so that's what we've lost is you know that ability and it's been lost you know through the funerals too because that's part of the reason why is because even those four-day funerals or even the one-night funeral that we're used to for you know the last what 20 years or something uh or more for 30 years anyway those the smaller funerals you know it's 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 putting the pressure on to you know to not yeah and i think one thing too is that like trauma does transmit generationally Mm. so if you, you know, if you have, like, a famine, if you've gone through genocide, you know, if your ancestors were slaves, there's this inheritance of trauma that you receive from your ancestors. And I think that all of us, you know, deal with that. Um, and I think it's it's a deep wound, but uh, we have these ceremonies, you know. We have these ways of healing, and I think it's really important, so... Yeah. There's studies coming out that like uh, like that now. I know my mom spoke about that before. How scientists are trying to link uh, trauma to Native Americans, how we're born with it in our DNA and stuff uh, automatically, just you know, based on the history that's happened in the country as a whole. But mm-hmm. I believe it. <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah. too. So does speaking about ceremony, specifically Kurok. Um, does it lose its spiritual meaning or power because of that? Because we have these discussions about it. I mean, some would definitely say that that you know, if it's a if it's available to everybody, that it you know, it's what what good is it? But I think with Karuk and kind of everything that we just talked about, that it's actually the opposite. Like as the ceremony becomes, <laughs> what's up, Ozzy? As the ceremony becomes, you know. Uh, available and accessible that there's more opportunity for the community to heal so you know because this is a healing ceremony because it's a grieving ceremony i think that's what it's for is to be you know brought out and publicized i mean that's we hear we heard about in the beginnings you know when they would do it that the the men and the people the the people would would go and you know spread the word hey we're going to have this you know this is is happening and you know everyone just kind of snapped into into you know what they needed to do yeah, I think my my fear in in that is that like culture diffuses faster now, and like if you if you look at you could go inside Ulta and buy sage, you know, you mm. could buy a sage a smudge kit, and I think that when we were talking about how culture is alive, right now we live in you know uh, an economic system, capitalism that commodifies everything, and the more that we share. The more vulnerable uh, it can it can latch on to I don't know the arrow weeds you know it could say oh this is the new sage I don't know you know like it could for sure we, yeah. something could happen like that and we just have to be very mindful of like um, 
you know, who can obtain and even though like the anthropologists have already came through and like written everything down and you know there's no like really stone left unturned i still think that uh, i i i'm kind of scared of the the new age spiritualists that come and just kind of take from all these cultures and then kind of i don't know like to me it's degrading to see people like just barely interact with something but take it and like you know i don't know i think it's monetizing it when someone takes something that doesn't you know that doesn't belong to them culturally and then tries to monetize it or does monetize on it that's always you know very degrading but like okay so there was this um this show that i watched this documentary about the 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 uh, chicano you know movement in la and like the beginnings of it and how you know over time like today modern times they have like chicano you know, communities and, you know, groups in like Tokyo and, and, you know, all over the world. And, you know, the guys from the original, you know, founders of this movement, you know, they're not, they're not looking at it like, oh man, like, you know, those guys shouldn't be doing what we're doing. Like that's ours. They're repping us. In fact, they're like, you know, honored. They're saying, oh wow, you know, look at, they're emulating us. And, you know, they come from a perspective that, you know, that's a form of flattery. Now, you know, it's, it's different because it's like, you know, there's religious context to what, you know, we practice in terms of you know this ceremony and you know other you know uses and so there's definitely a difference there but you know i mean we can't you know we can't be gatekeepers ourselves because we end up you know keeping it from our own people and that's you know one of the other struggles that we're having is you know it's not accessible like people tell us that our ceremony wasn't accessible you know and you put it out there and you try and you know make it inviting and that's basically what the the this podcast is about is trying to make these things accessible and for anybody to, you know, be able to hear it and, you know. Not be so scared of it, too. Yeah. I think something that definitely gives the ceremony power, the ceremonies that we have in general, the fact that we get together as people is that work what's on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, the fact that the ceremony is what it is. It's the fact that work what's on and we were descended from a specific people who did this thing. You know, it's, you know, I can't, I'm saying I can't, but it's, you know, wrong for me to go to, uh, Japan and throw on a samurai suit and call myself a samurai, you know, <laughs> or say that I'm Japanese then or something like along those lines. You I know? think that's called cosplay, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a weave, but a weave, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, but you know, I think uh, if, if we talk about this thing, does it lose its spiritual power? No, because you know, at the end of the day, it's us doing it. You know, it's us what's on people. We know the history behind it and where it came from. You know, and if it's somebody else out there who started replicating or doing things that we do, you know, where do they get it from? What's their history behind it? You know, where do they come from? If they're not from that set of history, they, they adapted it, you know, like we're talking about now, the adaptations that we have today in the big house, which is not having a mesquay made out of wood, you know, mannequin a person. We have bundles of clothes that we that we carry throughout the night, you know, adaptations. So I think those things can be looked at as a good thing. Um, but in terms of the, it losing its power, no, because I think it's not only about the intentions that you have in it as a person, but, you know, history of your people too so and i think too um the anthropologist that came and yeah i think that uh, especially when it comes to like the sacred aspects of it like what's like for me when i think about the river uh and like the land and how like we have all these monoculture crops around our most important area which is you know, the, as close to the river, you know, because that's 
essentially like a vein, a lifeline that breathes life into the into Yuma. And like how much spiritual power is here because how much of the original life is here, you know? I know um, uh, with the spiritual power thing, uh, some people think that we don't have any power now because it's gone or Kuduk's gone or that it should be a thing that's put away because nobody's done it in a long time. But the fact that we've done it and we're still here, you know, I think says something to the fact that, you know, there is, you know, power in it, you know, but if, you know, you put a good thought behind it and, you know, good intentions behind it, you know, good can come of it. it, it it's just sad, though, like, like, people bashed it so much that they didn't want to come, and it was a sight to see, like, yeah, if like, they came, actually experienced it, and, like, participated, they would have seen it wasn't that bad, it it, it was amazing, actually. It like, really was, yeah. It was something, like, I, I think I talked about it before, like, the coyotes screaming at a certain time. Like, they weren't screaming, but they are yelping mm-hmm. and doing their calls, and then it stopped, like, at a certain time. I, mm-hmm. Like, even the wind, like I said, the second uh, day, you know, that was just so strong, you know. In the, in the, the north wind. The north, north wind, wind, yeah. yeah. Like, ceremony calls for the people that call for the wind from the north, you know, and uh, the fact that it was there that day really just said something to me and it wasn't just a light breeze or anything of that nature. It was actually strong winds coming, you know, and, it, uh, you know, nobody can deny the fact that, you know, we called that and uh, we asked for it and it came, you know, things things like that. And I know we all had our own personal stories that we've seen, you know, throughout Kudu'uk and what made us feel like it was going right, you know, but uh, it was just a really good experience to have. Yeah. And like you said, wish more people were there to see it. Yeah. Focus on people. Mm-hmm. I, in the beginning, I, I had a hard time remembering those parts, like in the, <laughs> yeah. the warrior stuff. Yeah. I mm-hmm. had a hard time remembering that stuff. And all of a sudden, it just came out. It just, right. It, then I thought I was going to get beat up by Zion. <laughs> but, <laughs> I thought he was going to take you too. Yeah, man. Like, I was, I was kind of scared. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Even, you know, all those guys, that, uh, all those things that you guys are talking about, I kind of also think about the other aspects of it. Of, you know, we, you know, me and Willie learning have to actually learn how to make and shoot mm-hmm. a bow. Yeah. We've been making war clubs, learning how to speak what's on, and also getting ready to eat a certain way, oh, and which yeah. we all talked about before is not easy. But all those things, you know, better health, more more activity i mean we yeah. had to i was just saying sorry we had to you know yeah. get up at six in the morning on saturdays a few mm-hmm. times just to get rocks you know like yeah, yeah. fill up a truck bed <laughs> of rocks and take, bring them back you know and, so and then you know actually building the the ramadas it's it was a lot of work yeah, that last day and, huh and all i'll see all of that i see as positive and self-improvement you know and us as a community we just did it with a handful of people mm. imagine if we could do it with a lot more mm-hmm. if there's more help on hand then yeah. that's that's that i feel like that's that to me that's that healing that you know that connects us all together yeah, yeah. Good hook. we were given i feel like we were given a gift by by receiving Kuruk and then by practicing it and bringing it you know reviving it we're passing that gift on to our community and, and what that gift consists of is the ability for the community to tap into that and that's you know the what other what better way do we have to you know decolonize our you know our practice i mean that's what it's all about is taking those four days and 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 literally like you know breaking away right and mm-hmm. i think that i sounded a bit nihilistic about 
talking about the river and the land. I do think that everything is regenerated, um, so it can go back to that because we do have this sort of like we are standing on an archive of knowledge and and that we can tap into that. We do have like this residual faith, and and then I think that that's probably the key to getting back into the way that we used to live and it it is important to practice ceremonies because they do give us new values on how to be in relationship with the water with um, the earth with people with plants with animals and instead of like seeing them as like resources that we can abstract like that we can extract we can see them as like non-human kin Mm. and valuable to everything instead of monetary don't you think that the idea of colonialism in itself is to disassociate us and our you know our compassion for those you know those connections right right erase to replace and and i think that the values that we inherited from christianity and from uh american imperialism is just to destroy everything you know and and just it's not sustainable, you know, like, what what are we building towards? Yeah, I think that we should start thinking of things in in terms of, like, how is it going to affect, you know, yeah. generationally, not yeah. just four years, like, everything is so short-term. We need to start thinking in ways of, like, Preserving. like yeah, preserve, but also, like, what's able to, so it can regenerate mm-hmm. always, you know, come back. So my, my grandma... Uh, she was. I was talking to her the other day, and she was telling me um, one of the most important understandings for me to to grasp, and I'll share it with you guys, is that um, Native people um, see life in a circular, you know, pattern. They see we see life in a circular pattern. You know, things come back, and you know that's kind of our approach. Is we, you know, if we miss something, an opportunity to do something, we know you know, at some point it's going to come back and, you know, at that time we'll be prepared for it and, you know, we can do it. Uh, whereas the other, uh, you know, American society or Western, you know, ideologies is all linear. It's like you're going from point A to point B and, you know, you have these goals and these objectives and, you know, that it's, it's purely linear. And so, you know, if you think about that, you know, for us, um, you know, that's, that's the idea of the cycle of our ceremony, the, you know, the four, four stops. I mean, everything that we have, is, is regenerating. And I think that's important because, you know, if you're just going from point A to point B, you know, what's your, you know, what do you get? Like, oh, you get a, a reward or, you know, you get, a, you know, money or whatever. It, it kind of, it's, it's like, it's defeating, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would be the new Montezumes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we are kind of preserving what we can or trying to. Yeah, goals preservation for me, uh, just personal goals, just to be uh, as culturally involved as I can be, to feel as Quetzal as I can. Because right now, I think being disassociated with culture and language, you know, I don't. Other than saying I'm Quetzal, you know, what can you, what can you show, what can you express that you're Quetzal? You know, other than having your songs, having your language, or even just knowing history, having knowledge of history, is powerful in itself. You know, uh, about where you come from, but. Um, Sorry, I forget where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> Jumping I'm, off of what you were saying. I'm only doing it because fucking I don't want to see something die out. Right, right, right. Something right. that's been part of us for years. I I don't want to be the last people to 
last generation to fucking watch it die. And, and I feel like the these older people, the elders right now, they're they're the last generation to experience the real Quetzalcoatl life. Mm-hmm. I know my grandma's experience. She lived in a, a cardboard box, pretty much. That's what she said. And her grandpa used to get the food, provide whatever, and they'd just have a fire in there. And yeah, I think I, if a lot of indigenous people had yeah. their language and culture and you know songs would be at a lot better place you know spiritually as opposed to you know being in the modern world having to set goals for the year you know what am i what am i going to work this year you know where am i going to live this year even you know stuff like that you know it's all kinds of things you got to worry about that were different than you know being as a group you know in in you know in a tribe you know so how do you how do you get that balance you know right well i think it starts with having the ceremony, you know, having... So research? Yeah. And um, just um, providing a, a new a new outlet because it's like, again, like this idea to erase to replace. We need to replace what they erase, you know, with what we have, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it gives them a new set, a new outlook on life and a new set of values. And... Those values help everyone and everything around us, you know. So think about this. Like, as we, you know, are sitting here from the mud hut looking at, you know, the world around us, you know, it's it's coming, it's becoming, you know, very obvious to, you know, not just Quetzans, but everybody that all these institutions and everything that we're supposed to believe in have more or less been, you know, lying to us and, you know, telling us what they want us to, you know, believe or, or understand. So... You know, in losing credibility in, you know, everything that we've been taught to believe, you know, we're fortunate to be Quetzans and be able to have something to replace that void with. I mean, you know, that to me, I find so much comfort in that because if I was just, you know, out there, you know, every day trying to battle it and make sense of this world, like I would be so lost, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then, and at that time when, you know, everything like the rug got pulled out from the country you know, last year, we found, you know, it was like we went full in into Karuk, and that was like, oh my gosh, like such a, a relief for, for me to have, have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so crazy, too. It's for you to connect it like that, too, because it's like, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, we did it because, you know, we weren't working, but it's like we did it because, like, it's, you know, it's what we have. Like, we have, we have something that's so valuable, you know? And um, it's crazy that it took, like, the whole nation to stop for us to do it, you know. But really, like, that's that's what we needed. And and uh, I think, too, like, with uh, the spiral, I, every time I would think about, oh, when you're talking about the spiral of life, mm. um, I think about it like, oh, this is so, like, this, this ceremony that we're doing now is just going to ripple across and everyone's going to feel it and like they're going to feel it in the past they're going to feel it in the future we're we're feeling it now like Mm -hmm. it's really important and it's it's really amazing to to have been a part of it and it also like set me on this goal of like food sovereignty of wanting to establish like a system where we can you know grow our own food and disconnect from uh mindless consumption yeah because it's food is also like another really big problem with uh with everyone i think Mm -hmm. uh the dependency on it and like we could we could really just like as sovereign people as a sovereign nation you know 
I think we can do it. And I think it starts with um, with our spirituality, with having with understanding our connection to food and our connection to you know land and what what sustains us. Yeah, I feel like what's out there in other podcasts and you know other uh, people that are you know sharing like ideas and you know concepts. It's we're all kind of coming to that realization that you know here it is, you know all these these old ways and these old teachings have, you know, become valuable and, you know, we see, you know, that we need to implement them. Yeah. Well, and too, it's like, we're also in the face of like global catastrophe with climate change. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, Oh yeah, you know, we probably should do something Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. They're they're even saying that the river is supposed to dry up or something. It (laughs) is. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking extinct. I don't know. It looks pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It was high. I was out there over the weekend. It was really high. Well, we were out there. Mojave's giving us water, right? <laughs> They're all like, yeah, let's get them some water. Crit. Crit's, Crit's got the water. Oh, yeah. Crit, huh? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Open that down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's really scary because, yeah, I don't even know what we'd do without the river. You know, how are we Kachan without our river? It's, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, the scars of colonialism are so bad. Um, like, the Hoover Dam, when I think about it, it's like just millions of pounds of concrete that blocks water. And it's like, how stupid is that? Or when, like, uh, the Mount Rushmore, like, the scar on the earth, you know? Like, Jesus Christ. So have you, do you, have you done much, like, looking into the Corps of Engineers? So the Corps of Engineers is this group of like American like industrialists, right, from the government. And they went around building the Hoover Dam and, you know, creating all these reservoirs and all these dams and you know, I mean, it was like a uh like a conquering, you know, like conquering the West, you know, and it was like how big can we make it? You know, what's the you know, how large scale can we go? And there was like no considerations of you know what about these fish migrations and you know these uh you know these landscapes and that are dependent on the water i mean when when they started damming our area here uh all of our you know lush cottonwood forests and everything that had those deep roots that were used to having you know that irrigation natural irrigation every year you know and after you know certain number of years of it changing they were gone you know i think that one big tree over there off of ross road you know, that's like one one of the last like relic, you know, remnants of hell. I used to have a really cotton tree in the backyard. I remember that one we had in my backyard. Yeah. In my house. Michael Pastel has a really big cotton tree in the back of his house too, but yeah. just like three story co- cottonwood, you know, like they fell during a storm one day too, but we had salmon too. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through the river but we got extinct because uh the dam. Well, and think what we got, what we lost. I mean, there's, you know, the whole river of, you know, transportation and commuting and everything that, you know, it was used for, you know, just vanished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's going to be hard to try and build around that because we don't have the same river that we do. And we're not going to have the same river that we do in, in 50 years, you know. So. So as Quetzans, it's really important to know that, you know, our <laughs> river what? He's having a hard time going back and forth. Oh, <laughs> so as, as Quetzans, it's important to know that our river, you know, you talk about it being, you know, in jeopardy. It really literally is. Uh, like in like like legal context, you know, contracts. Our tribe uh, signed what's called the forbearance agreement to give some of our water, like ten to 15,000 acre feet, which is a lot, uh, to the Los Angeles Metropolitan Water District. And that water source 
if we don't come up with a you know a verifiable use quote unquote by a certain time, then we forbear that water. It's called a forbearance agreement. So we lose it. Basically, it's like our omission uh, that we got more water than we could use. And, you know, so you start thinking like, well, how can we, you know, use that water source? I mean, obviously farming, expanding our farming and, you know, showing, you know, projections that that's what we're going to do. But, you know, what about restoring a use? I mean, ecological use, environmental use, uh, you know, even ecotourism is a big, you know, industry now. So if you think like, how can we hybrid, you know, we were talking about it, about our like traditional cultures, but like, you know, our, our, our live, you know, supporting our tribes. I mean, we can't just be casinos, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like so perverse. Like settler logics are so like, it's like, if you're not using it, then you're wasting it, you know? And it, nothing can just be, you know, nothing can just like, like the water just can't go to Mexico, you know, cause you have to, it's a resource, you know, you have to use it or they're going to take it. And, how do we use it in a way that um, that brings life back, you know, in a meaningful way? We're not just growing lettuce for the whole state. For the, the world. Thing. The world. And it's just, yeah. yeah. Right. I just wish I could see more animals around the river around <laughs> here, man. I, I would like to see a beaver, man. That'd be fucking hard. That'd be cool. Yeah. I I could like count on my hands the amount of times I've seen a beaver and the amount of times I've seen um, I don't even know its name now you know but I uh, around here what is it called Roadrunner Roadrunner Road Road oh it's like how messed up is that you know like I see those a lot. <laughs> thank you for listening to hanging with the Hunnafooks my name is Tomas and I encourage you to check out our previous episodes and follow us on social media to find our new episodes as they come out. I hope that these discussions facilitate the opportunity to have a lot of good dialogue with your family and your friends about what it is to be Native American. I hope you're all safe and until next time, Niyuka.